turn to 1 Peter chapter 2 this morning. I actually am going to switch my morning and evening sermon just now. I feel that the Lord would like for me to share with you tonight what I was going to share this morning and to share this morning what I had planned to share this evening. So I'm not sure who needs to hear this evening's sermon right now, but uh, we had been in a morning sermon looking at the time leading up to Easter when Jesus Christ took the last steps of the greatest journey on earth. And I was planning to turn you to Mark chapter 11 when our Lord Jesus Christ uh, had cleansed the temple and then confronted the Pharisees and the Sadducees. I'll do that this evening with your favor. And this evening I'm in a series on First Peter and I would like to read that section right now because I feel in my heart that some of you would identify more with this evening's sermon than this morning's sermon. So we're in 1 Peter chapter number 2, and I'll tell you that the theme of 1 Peter is hope, and specifically hope to those who suffer. And I would like to identify a number of reasons that those of you who are suffering can still have tremendous hope this morning. So let's read in 1 Peter chapter uh, 2, and verse number 1. I'll read the first 10 verses. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore it is also contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble, being disobedient to the word, to which they also were appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but now are the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. The whole theme of 1 Peter is hope. You'll see that in chapter 1, verse 3. And it's hope specifically to those who are suffering. And Peter does a tremendous job giving hope to people who suffer by pointing them to the sufferings of the Lord Jesus Christ. Throughout the entire book, five chapters, he points us over and over again to the sufferings of Christ, letting all of you know that there is someone who can identify and understand all that you're experiencing today. And Peter in the first chapter 
points us also to the doctrine of salvation. And in chapter 1, verses 1 to 11, he identifies so many wonderful aspects of the doctrine of salvation and essentially says to the sufferer, trust in Jesus as your Savior, because then even though you suffer, you will have an inheritance incorruptible, reserved in heaven for you. And one day you will rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory as you walk on those golden streets and through those pearly gates. So he points the sufferer to the doctrine of salvation and encourages them to trust in Jesus Christ as their own personal Savior. And then in chapter 1, verses 12, all the way to the section that we read today, chapter 2, verse 10, he points sufferers to the doctrine of sanctification. And sanctification is that wonderful process of, of being made holy, like God is holy, being set apart from our sin. And he tells sufferers that they should work on their sanctification so that at least while they're suffering, they're not suffering as evildoers. They're, they're not suffering as a consequence of wrong behavior and they're living holy and clean lives. And then today in chapter 2, verses 1 to 10, where we've just read, he's still on the subjects of the doctrines of salvation and sanctification And he brings us to some of the connections that Christians have while they suffer. And there are three in these ten verses that we've spoken about. Three connections that are like links in a chain. That give stability and hope to the sufferer. I'll point them out to you as we look down through the second chapter. Verses 1 to 3. The first link in the chain and uh, the first stability and hope that the sufferer has in chapter 2 is that these people who are suffering can be pointed to the Word of God. And you can see the Word of God mentioned there on a couple of occasions in chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. That's the connection that sufferers who trust in Jesus have. They have the Word of God. And then in verses 4 to 9, he talks about other believers and other Christians. And as you suffer, you are connected to other believers. They are They are like the stones of a temple or they are like the holy priesthood in the Old Testament or or like the nation of Israel, all these connected people together. And then once you get to verses 9 and 10, the last connection or the last link in the chain after the word of God and other believers, he mentions our connection with God the Father and a wonderful special relationship that existed in the Old Testament between God and Israel and now continues to exist with them but also with the church. And so we see these three connections. The Word, other Christians, and God the Father like links in a chain helping us, if nothing else, to realize you don't have to suffer alone. You don't have to be alone in your trouble You have the Word of God. You have other believers. You have God the Father. These will all give you some hope and some stability while you go through all of the difficulties of your life. Now you might know in 1 Peter that he helps us understand what people go through by calling suffering fire. He is a poet and a singer and he helps us in an illustrious way to understand our suffering by comparing it to fire. 
That's what he does in the first chapter in the seventh verse if you read it. Chapter 1 verse 7 says that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes though it be tested with fire may be found to the praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter helps us understand what people are going through in the HRM today by reminding us that it's like fire. And fire is a very good illustration of hardship and trouble. It's uncomfortable. It's painful. You don't like it. You want to get out of it as quickly as you can. It burns up and destroys so many parts of your life. And God can use it to purify you and to cleanse you and to refine you. Peter says your suffering is like fire and by saying so he echoes back to one of the very first books of the Old Testament. Not the first in order and not first in its content but one of the first ones to be written was the Old Testament book of Job. And Job has 42 chapters largely on the subject of suffering. And remember, he was the first to talk about suffering being like fire. If you turn back to Job, chapter 23, Job reminds us that what he went through, and he went more through more than what any of us have ever gone through, he suffered financially and physically and mentally and with demonic attacks and spiritually and emotionally. He suffered the loss of his family. He suffered from his wife, his friends. He suffered at the hand of God and the devil. And he gives us hundreds of images of suffering. And in Job chapter 23, if you have never been able to express properly the way that you feel or even understand what other people are going through around the world today, Job is a wonderful place to go. It's, it's one of the first poets and singers in the scripture and in romantic and beautiful language he expresses so many things to us including his suffering he tells us in language unlike any other and one of the first images that he uses is of fire because look in job 23 verse 10 much like peter in first peter chapter 1 verse 7 job 23 10 says he knows the way that i take when he has tested me I shall come forth as gold. He says, it's just like I've been plunged into the refining pot. I've been cast down into the fire, and it hurts, and I don't like it, and I want to get out of it, and it's burning up everything that was of value in my life and meaningful to me, but God is going to use it. God is going to refine me through this. He's going to help me through this. And he uses this lovely image of the refining pot and it reminds me of a beautiful poem written by a lady by the name of Deborah Ann. She puts these thoughts so nicely together, asking, going through the fire, things getting too hot, tried beyond your patience, stomach tied in a knot, flames have you jumping, can't stand the heat, feeling the dread that comes with defeat, 
And if you can answer yes to any of those things, like Peter or Job or countless other people, then she continues, when being fire-tested and it starts getting hot, remember you're just turning into gold in God's refining pot. Suffering is described by Peter and Job as like being in fire. And people all over Nova Scotia today feel exactly that way. And Job uses so many images. If you don't know how to describe to God or anybody else what you're going through, scour the book of Job and look, for example, how he not only uses fire, but he uses all of the forces of nature as an example of suffering. I mean, Job talks in such language, like if you go back into Job chapter 19, look in Job 19, verses 10 to 12, at the way that he uses nature as an image to help describe what people feel in their heart and mind. Job 19, verse 10. He breaks me down on every side, and I am gone. My hope, he's uprooted like a tree. If you don't know how to describe the way that you feel, just look at nature. Job says in other places, he says, I feel like all of the branches and leaves have been stripped off my tree. He says here, I feel like I've been uprooted. In another place, he says, I feel like a tree that's been shaken and all of the fruit has rotten and fallen off. In other examples of nature, he says, I feel like an eagle has swooped down on its prey. I feel like all the huge forces of nature are colliding and colluding against me. I feel like a dying, hungry person. I feel like a thirsty man in the desert. I feel like I'm in darkness or in a drought. I feel helpless against the forces of a great world. I don't know if any of that sounds familiar, but that's what suffering is like. It's like your little ship is out on a big sea and this huge storm is just rocking you back and forth and you're helpless and don't even know what to do. Or which way to turn. If you're still in Job 19 verse 10. Look in verses 11 and 12. How he changes the image from the forces of nature. To a war. And some of you have been in war. And you've read about war. And you know about war. Verse 11 of Job 19 says. He's kindled his wrath against me. He counts me as one of his enemies. His troops come together and build up their road against me. They encamp all around my tent. He says, you want to know what it feels like to be in my shoes today? He says, I feel like a little soldier out on the battlefield and everybody's got their guns pointed at me. It's like arrows have pierced right into my heart. It's like all the cannons of the United States are pointed in my direction right now and I couldn't even run fast enough to get away from them. Job and Peter do us a tremendous favor by giving words to our feelings, helping us to understand and explain to others and to God. You want to know what it's like to feel the way that I feel today? 
take any of these forces of nature or take the images of war or take plunging something into the fire and it'll help you understand just a little of what goes on in my head or my heart or my home or my body. Now, is there hope for anybody who's going through things like that? Absolutely. Peter is a wonderful example of a book that you can turn to, not only to describe the way that it feels when you suffer, but to give yourself some hope or to give hope to others who are suffering. Go back to 1 Peter chapter 2 where we started. And he gives us three massive chains in a link, links in a chain that help to give us some hope in our sufferings. He points us to three connections that believers have. And the first one is one of the greatest of all. It's the word of God. And though you don't see the word suffer in verses 1 to 3 of 1 Peter chapter 2, the content is there because I showed you in chapter 1 verse 7, he says we've been plunged into the fire. And remember chapter 5 verse 8, he says the devil's going about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So these people are not having it easy. And it's very interesting to me that one of the first images that Peter uses to describe the difficulties of these people is fire because remember these people in first Peter had been falsely accused of burning down the city of Rome during the time of the emperor Nero and a large degree uh, amount of their suffering is coming as a result of this false accusation that they'd burned down the city and Peter says now they're the ones in the fire. They're accused of setting fire. Now they're in the fire suffering as a result of this false accusation. And he says to them in chapter 2, verse 1 and 2 and 3, you suffering people ought to be like that little baby who's crying out for her mother's milk right now. Down at the IWK or wherever else they might be, those newborn little sweet things, boys and girls that we can hold in our arms and know that the world is going to be all right, they cry out for their mother's milk and just want to be close to their mother's breast. And he says, if you're suffering, he says, the milk in your case is the word of God. God's word written in the scriptures. You should be like newborn babes, he says in verse number two, desiring the pure milk of the word. And that's what's going to give you the stability and the help that you need during your time of suffering. It will nourish your life, restore your life, give you hope and stability during your suffering. Get into the Bible, read it, study it, memorize it. As opposed to what verse number one says we're normally like. We're normally angry and deceitful and hypocritical and envious and evil stuff is coming out of us. He says, no, no, don't do that during your suffering. Get into God's word and grow like a little baby. Fill yourself with God's word during your suffering and avoid all these bad behaviors. Now that's not the only connection that believers have during their suffering. In verses 4 to 9, he turns now to the connectedness of the ancient nation of Israel. And they were all interconnected that great nation of people that stood before God on Mount Sinai and he says Christians are just like them connected to other Christians like those ancient stones in the temple and 
Solomon and then Herod eventually built these beautiful temples in Jerusalem, massive stones that needed huge numbers of men even to carry one of them and set them into place. He says, just look sometime at the way that those stones of any building all are interrelated and depend upon one another and need one another and rest upon one another. And he reminds them, he says, the chief cornerstone is Jesus Christ. And we all ultimately rest and depend upon him. And then he goes on, that's in verses 4 and 5. And then in verses 5 and 6, he starts to talk about that priesthood in the Old Testament. All of those priests serving in the temple, each one of them relying upon one another this one arriving at seven o'clock that one arriving at seven o'clock in the evening these priests all working together offering up their sacrifices to god and then he ultimately comes in say verse number eight and nine to the nation of israel that chosen generation that holy nation that special people the nation of israel who every one of them connected to each other and remember he's writing to these believing jewish people and in chapter one he he tells us in verse one that they're scattered over five provinces and yet he says you're all connected together you're not alone in your suffering those people in that other province they're jewish people too and they're connected with you and, and those people in that province, they're connected to you. And he's, he's using this as a wonderful illustration for believers. He says, just think about that Old Testament temple and the way that all the stones rested upon one stone and connected to each other and supported each other. Think of the holy priesthood, the way that those priests all worked together. Think of the nation of Israel, how they all depended and were interconnected. You are not alone in your suffering either. The Lord is with you. Others are here for you. They will pray for you. They will love you. And then in verses 9 and 10, he turns to the special relationship that Israel had with the Heavenly Father. Oh, look at that special nation in verse number 9. A special people who, verse 10 says, once were not a people. But then God made them the people of God. And throughout the history of the Old Testament, you can look at the way that Abraham was not a Jew. And there was no nation of Israel. And from that nothing and darkness, God called Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the twelve sons of Jacob and the twelve tribes of the nation of Israel. And people who were nothing came into existence and the nation of Israel was born. And it's similar in Egypt when they were down in Egypt in Exodus. Under slavery and bondage and darkness, not a people. And yet God called them out of that nation across the Red Sea into the wilderness to Mount Sinai. He made them a mighty nation, gave them his covenant, made his promises, gave them his prophets, and made them into a mighty nation to march through the wilderness and into the promised land. Same with the Babylonian captivity late in the Old Testament put them into Babylon there were only three boys who would stand against that idol that uh, Nebuchadnezzar had set up all the rest bowed down and only 50,000 of them came out and yet God made them into a mighty nation to bring forth the Messiah who walked and talked among them and healed and made great advantages for the whole world and even now after their rejection of Jesus Christ they are scattered throughout the four corners of the earth for 1900 years uh, persecuted and even went through the holocaust 
And yet since 1948, he has been regathering them and assembling them once again into their own state and making them a mighty nation and a people once again. And he asks you to consider God's relationship with the people of Israel. And he says, you're no different. He has a special relationship with them. But look, for example, if you would, in verse number 7, to you who believe, And verse 7 says, the builders, they rejected. That's the early nation and their leaders. They rejected that chief cornerstone. But to you who believe. And down in verse number 9, he says that he's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And you can have a special relationship with the Heavenly Father. All of these things that he says are true of the ancient temple and the ancient priesthood and the special nation of Israel, the way they connected with each other, the way they connect with God. He says, to you who believe, on a spiritual level, it's the same. We're all connected through Christ and through the Holy Spirit in the church. And we all now are priests unto God and can offer up spiritual sacrifices for one another like prayer. I can pray for you and you can pray for me. And we should gather together. And you're not alone in your suffering. All those hard things that you go through every day. You have the word of God, verses 1 to 3. You have other believers, verses 4 to 9. And you have that special relationship with God, the Heavenly Father, verses 9 and 10. There's a story told about a man named David. Not the David of the Bible, but a David who lived in a place in the former Soviet Union back in the early 1990s called Uzbekistan. And David grew up without a father, and his mother was a communist. And he, David, got involved in a life of drugs and rebellion and gangs and crime and his mother was so concerned about David that there was a little evangelical church near their home that she went into one day and she prayed to God saying if you exist then save my son and David writes in Billy Graham's decision magazine that his mother came home and told him that he needed to go to that church. And on the day that he went, there was a missionary from America there at that church. And the missionary later told David, I thought you came to kill me because of the demonic look on your face. And in the church, David says many of the people couldn't believe that he walked through the door. But that day, that missionary from America preached the gospel. And Jesus touched David's heart. He says he cried for 30 minutes. And many in the congregation of about 70 people cried with him. And he was saved that day. And within six months, David was a missionary in what he calls the most Islamic area of Uzbekistan 
And in 1993, after his conversion, he went there as a missionary where 96% of the people are Muslim. And David started a church there. And it slowly grew until the authorities became concerned and persecution arose. And in 2007, now Pastor David was arrested and this was the charge extremism and proselytizing that means winning Islamic people to Jesus and Pastor David was sentenced to four years in prison while he was in prison the Bible was forbidden he writes of the horrible conditions in something called the disciplinary cell now he wasn't in that particular cell for the entire four years but he writes I hardly had any strength in my body the disciplinary cell was nearly as frigid as the sub-zero temperatures outside I couldn't sleep at night because of the cold sleep wasn't allowed during the day in my misery expecting death to come knocking I was saying goodbye in my mind to my family and then David writes this wonderful part of the story he says while he was in prison he celebrated his 40th birthday and on his 40th birthday he prayed to God and he said God I'd like to have a gift for my birthday and David writes that on that day the guards came and against his will they took him to the prison library and he couldn't imagine why because as he scoured the shelves there wasn't anything worth reading and then he said I spotted a book that was titled the path to a new life he said I looked at it and my heart began to beat faster it was the New Testament concealed enough by the title that the censors in the prison must have mistaken it for a self-help book he said he took that and for eight months he was able to read and keep it hidden that it was the Bible he writes in his story that that birthday he received the best birthday gift ever the New Testament and Peter writes in 1 Peter 2 to all of us who suffer that that same word of God is one of the links in the chain that will give you hope and stability in your suffering along with other believers and the church and God the Father you are not alone all across this wonderful world there are people suffering from COVID-19 from terrorism from poverty and war there are people lined up today on the border between Syria and Turkey suffering many across the world are being oppressed by their government Christians are being persecuted there are homes that are worse than a war field because of domestic violence 
There are people committing crimes and theft and fraud against each other. Many have ill health and mental health and demonic attacks and more. And likely there are many people who say, I feel like I'm in the fire. I feel like all the forces of nature are against me. I feel like I'm in a war and every cannon on earth is pointed at me. Is there anything that we can tell those people? Peter says we can tell them the best message of all that there's a Jesus Christ who loves them and died on the cross for them and was buried and rose again. And if they get into his word and connect with his people in a church of Christians who love them and pray for them, and if they will be connected to God our Heavenly Father like the ancient nation of Israel is connected with God our Heavenly Father, then there will not only be hope, but all of those people and things will get them through the hardest times in their life. There is hope for those who suffer. And I hope this message that was intended for tonight has spoken to someone who's here this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you speak to us in a personal and an intimate way through your word and your Holy Spirit and other believers. We are thankful for the things that we can learn about you. And I'm thankful that for whatever reason you wanted this sermon preached this morning. And for the person here for whom this sermon was intended... I don't understand what you're going through.